welcome. I'm Jake. I'm Rachel. And we're We're so bored. bored. The podcast where each episode we take a close look at a tabletop game and discuss our personal experiences with said game to help answer the question, will this cure our boredom? That's right. We look at the mechanics, complexity, and replayability in a game to determine if it's the perfect alternative to, say, helping your neighbor get a competitive price on selling his entire Pokemon card collection that ranges from 1996 to 2009. Oh, man. That seems like a chore. That's a lot of cards. Yeah. Today we're talking about our second episode in our Tiny Epic series, and today we're going to be focusing on Tiny Epic Galaxy's Blast Off. This game was actually released in 2020, published and produced by Gameland Games, and designed by Scott Alms. Alright, so in this game you basically have some little spaceships and you are trying to be the first person to get to 21 points by upgrading your galaxy and going out and colonizing other planets. It's pretty cool, it's an interesting little game. Yeah, and it's rated for ages 9 and up. Honestly, it could probably be a little younger, except for some of the pieces are a little small. It might be a choking hazard. It's true. <clears throat> I swallowed a quarter when I was like eight. Yeah, I mean, you're special. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a dice chucker type of game where we're rolling a bunch of dice. You start with the number of dice that is represented by your galaxy level. And at the beginning of the game, that's going to be four dice. Mm-hmm. You'll roll that and there's six different options, six different symbols on these dice that you can get. One of them looks like a spaceship. This will allow you to move one of your starships. We'll talk a little bit about what you can do with those starships in a moment. There's one that is a gear icon and one that is like a small plant with two leaves. Both of those advance your colonization. Again, that's going to be something we talk about momentarily. The next is a lightning bolt symbol. This is what you use to gain energy, which is a resource that you'll use in the game for different actions. You'll also be able to roll a trophy or what looks like a Greek column on one of the sides of the die. This is used to gain culture, which is another resource that you use for actions in the game. This picture, this symbol reminds me honestly of the animation style of the animated Disney movie Hercules. That's what we mean by like a Greek column. I don't know if we can say Hercules. I think we have to just imply it and say something like Blurcules. Blurcules? Yeah. You think so? I mean, Disney's pretty litigious, so. Oh, okay. Blurcules then. Yes. And the final symbol that you can roll is a planet with rings similar or reminiscent of Saturn. This represents an action called utilizing your galaxy. This is how you can upgrade your galaxy level to gain more die and more victory points and more starships to use. Or you can also activate effects of planets you've already colonized, which we will talk about in a moment. So Jake mentioned the energy resource. You can always, at any point in time during your turn, spend one energy to re-roll any of your unused dice. This becomes kind of an order of operations type of game. You can roll your dice, like a couple of the things that you got, and choose to use some of those, and then not care about the rest, and choose to spend an energy and re-roll everything, hoping to get something better. And the way that you use these dice is on a special play mat called the Activation Bay. There are six slots along the bottom that you can place these dice at to activate their effects. So, for example, if you place an energy die in one of the slots, you're going to gain energy assuming you meet the requirements. If you place a utilized galaxy, you'll be able to, if you meet the requirements, upgrade your galaxy or activate one of those previously colonized planets. So at the top right of the activation bay mat, there is a conversion slot, which allows you to take one die, place it there, and either spend one energy or one culture 
to change that die into any action that you would like it to be. You can only do that once during your turn, though. There's only one slot for that. Right. So once your turn is over, other players can choose to spend one culture to copy one of your actions as long as it's in one of the yellow or orangish bordered slots. That's the first three slots along the bottom of your activation bay and then also that converter slot. And when doing that, they can copy the type of action that you took, but not necessarily perform the same exact action. For example, if you want to do a convert, they don't have to convert one of their dice into exactly what you converted it into. They can just perform that action at the cost of one culture. So you can only do this once per round, but it allows you to pay attention, even though it's not your turn, to what's happening in the game so that you can actually plan for what you would like to do on your turn without using your own dice. Yeah. Okay, so let's get into some of the meat of the game. Really, it's about colonizing and capturing these planets. So there is a planet deck of cards, and you will lay out the number of planets is the number of people playing the game plus two. So when it was just Jake and I, we put out four. If you're playing with four people, you're going to put out six. Mm -hmm. These planet cards have a picture of the planet in the upper half kind of center portion. I actually kind of like these because I don't think that they're all completely unique, but there's definitely differences in the pictures of the planets. And I thought that was a nice little touch Mm -hmm. to add. And the bottom half of the card is going to contain an effect. This is like you gain energy or you spend an energy to gain a culture or effects like that. So in order to activate those effects, you have to land one of your starships on the planet. So there's two different actions that you can take with your starships on these planets. The same dice is used to perform either of these to move the starship. That's just the little spaceship icon on the dice. But if you land on the planet, then you will immediately activate the lower half of the card. You have to be able to pay whatever the cost is. So if it says minus one energy plus two culture, you have to be able to pay the energy in order to get the two culture. Right. The other action that you can do with your starships is instead of landing on the planet itself, you can orbit the planet, which is how you start to colonize it. On each planet, there is a little tracker that is usually ranged between one and seven, seven being the hard planets that are worth a lot more victory points at the end. This colonization track is moved by collecting either gears from the die roll, plants from the die roll, or other planets' effects. And as you collect them, depending on the planet that you're on, if it's a life planet which uses the plants or an engineering planet which uses the gears, as you collect them, you will be able to move up this tracker starting from zero to the end. Once you reach the end of the colonization track, you then now own that planet and that goes into your galaxy underneath your mat. Yep, and that becomes one of the effects that you can activate when you have the planet icon on your dice to utilize your galaxy. You also gain the victory points immediately that are attached to this card. Yes. So one of the nuances with this is that each planet will either be associated with culture or energy. There are things that activate and cause you to gain culture or energy, but you have to actually have a starship in a location that would allow you to gain that resource in order to actually receive it. So like the example that I gave earlier where it says pay one energy, gain two culture. Well, you will gain two culture for each of your starships located on a planet or in a place that awards culture. 
if you're not on any planets, you're out of luck. You don't gain any. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of an important nuance that we missed in the beginning. Yeah. So as we were playing the first time, we didn't realize this. And I was thinking this game is very easy. I'm always getting what I need. I'm not struggling for any sort of resource. But once we realized that this rule is in effect, that you need to be in these locations with your starship, it did add a different level of strategy to the game that made it more difficult than it was previously. Yeah, agreed. That's basically the game. The first person to collect 21 points via upgrading their galaxy, which can get you a maximum of seven points, Mm -hmm. and then colonizing planets, the first person to 21 wins. Yes. It's a pretty simple game, honestly. But I feel like the mechanics work really well together, and it was a very smooth little game. I think one of the things I liked about this was the fact that you're consistently engaged, even when it's not your turn, because you may benefit from what somebody else does based on the fact that you can copy one of their actions. So you can potentially win not even on your turn. That's true. So the one proper game that we played with the proper rules, Mm -hmm. you barely beat me. I was basically spending energy at the end trying to re-roll all my dice so that I could get these gear icons and just finish colonizing this one planet that would bring me up to 21 points. I think she needed, like, two I needed gear. one. Oh, I you needed, needed one. one? Yeah, so I, I had re-rolled so many times, and I got to that second-to-last slot on the colonization track. I just needed one more. But she had already <laughs> used her conversion, so she couldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you barely beat me. It was like I was going to win next turn. Next turn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. If I had the ability to use a converter. Yep. But I also wanted to say it's really interesting about being able to copy other people's actions because when it's your turn, that actually makes you think about the order that you want to take your actions. You have the ability to deny another person the ability to copy your action if you play that action later in your turn, if it's after the first three. Exactly. So that's an added element or an added strategy that you can have is kind of considering what order am I playing all of these in? Exactly. That is something that I did to Rachel while we were playing this game. She needed one of those gears, and I was also on a gear planet, and I used it at the end so that she would not be able to benefit from it. Yeah, I wasn't able to copy that action. I think we also both took a strategy of upgrading our galaxies to the max pretty early in the game. And so that gives you seven victory points by doing that. It also makes it so that you have an additional two starships to work with. And it gives you an additional two dice. So you're rolling six. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely a lot of benefit to that. So we're going to do a little bit of comparison here between this game and the Tiny Epic Pirates game that we released just before this. So if you haven't listened to that episode, I would maybe go back and listen. But with this game, I felt like that little tracker and like your level was very important to the strategy and very beneficial to have. Whereas the other game, it didn't seem as necessary. Yeah, the galaxy level in this game was much more beneficial than the legend level in the Tiny Epic Pirates. Yeah. I felt like there's no real incentive to, especially in a two-player game, to raise your legend level in the Tiny Epic Pirates. In this game, regardless of how many people are playing, you do want to raise that galaxy level so that you get those additional dice and additional starships. They are very beneficial because the starships are how you're going to colonize the planets and get your victory points. Right. 
So also kind of comparing those two games, I had two very different experiences and feelings in playing these two games, not just because of the different themes, but it seems like a Tiny Epics game is trying to aim for a couple of things. Making it a portable game, because they're limited to these small size boxes that you could very easily fit in like a backpack or Mm -hmm. something. And also trying to make longer, more complex games, having those mechanics and that kind of experience a little bit more accessible. So kind of with that in mind, I felt like Tiny Epic Galaxy's Blast Off was exactly what I was expecting. It does make some of those mechanics a little bit more accessible and everything works really well together. There was no like clunkiness or anything that didn't seem like it fit. If you listen to our previous episode on Tiny Epic Pirates, there was a little bit of that clunkiness. It was a different feeling. Honestly, the feeling I was left with was I would rather this be a bigger, regular size, complete game with some of those mechanics tweaked. Yeah, I kind of agree. Tiny Epic Galaxy's Blast Off, I feel like, was a better packaged game in total. The components were appropriately sized. They were appropriately designed. So it's very simple, very sleek. Only potential problem is they're small, so you might lose them or swallow them if you're eight-year-old me. But the mechanics of the game, it worked very well. It is sort of a shorter game. I think the game was about 20, 25 minutes for us to play. Unlike the Tiny Epic Pirates game, which was about 45 minutes to an hour. But I do feel that the mechanics of Tiny Epic Galaxy's Blast Off just seem to work better. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's what I was expecting out of something called Tiny Epic Anything. Mm -hmm. This is what I was expecting. Speaking of the Tiny Epic games, Tiny Epic Galaxies, the original, was the first Tiny Epic game to be released in 2015. And as of right now, there are, I believe, 12 or 13 base games. And they seem to release one of these base games every six months or so. So if you were to purchase one of each of these base games, the total would be about $450. That's a lot. And that's not including expansions. That's not including expansions because most of these base games have expansions available for them, which is good if it's a game that you like. That's great. Yeah. So I wonder about this pace, though, right? How realistic is it for them to keep up this pace of releasing a new base game every six months and potentially, what, one, two, or three maybe expansions for each of those base games? Yeah, I do wonder what the sustainability for this is. Yeah, so I'm kind of interested in seeing how this universe continues to develop. There's lots of options out there right now, but is there some aspect of quality or anything that is being sacrificed in order to release at this frequency? Like I said, this game turned out to be really good and well-polished, but we felt like Tiny Epic Pirates maybe could have been tweaked a little. So is that a result of trying to release on this really aggressive schedule? Yeah. Maybe if we get a chance to interview Sam, the guy that we met at our local game store and who sent us these games, maybe if we get a chance to interview him, we can ask him some of those questions. Which we would love to do. So as of right now, there are no expansions or add-ons for this game. It was only released in 2020, but the base game is available on Gameland Games' website for $20. I feel like that's a really good value. Yeah, for this game, this is I feel like this is great value. And this is a good game, I think, to play with kids. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's a lot of fun. It's quick, but it has enough depth to introduce some more complex mechanics like worker placement-esque 
I think it does have enough depth to start introducing some strategy into a younger player's thought process. Definitely. I think this would be a great game to take camping. You're probably not going to be able to play it in the car because of the small pieces, but if you take it on a road trip and you decide to stop somewhere and have lunch, you could definitely pull this out at the table. You could use Silly Putty if you wanted to play it in the car, but... (laughs) Uh, Okay, I mean, I wouldn't do that to my game, but that's you. To each their own. Mm Mm-hmm. Board Game Geek ratings is something we like to talk about on this podcast. And as of right now, this game only has 206 reviews and it's got a rating of 7.6, which is pretty good. I thought that's pretty accurate. This game isn't the best game I've ever played, but it is certainly entertaining and is certainly well polished. Like we said, I think that that is a very fair rating. It's interesting that it has so few reviews, though. 206. Tiny Epic Pirates had more reviews and has been out for a shorter period of time. Well, Tiny Epic Pirates was kickstarted. I don't know if this particular game was a kickstarter game. Oh, okay. But that's just an interesting thing to see. I wonder, maybe this didn't get enough attention or popularity because there's already another Tiny Epic Galaxies game. Yes, the original, which apparently is very popular. Yeah. So now we're going to go to our ratings. Yeah, so first is easy versus difficult. This is how easy or difficult it is to understand the rules. How often are you having to go back and look at the rule book and figure things out or try and reread the rules? I think that this is actually a fairly easy game. Once you get the hang of what the symbols are and make sure that you pay attention to some of those nuances that we mentioned with the culture and the energy, it's pretty easy. We didn't have to go back and look up the rules again, I don't think. No, I would say that this is probably one of the easier games we've reviewed, in my opinion. I would give this probably a three. I'm also thinking a three. And like we said earlier, this would be a great game for younger players, I think, because of how easy it is to understand these rules. Next is simple versus complex. If that's a little confusing compared to easy versus difficult, the difference is is that we're talking about strategy here. A game can be easy, but still complex, such as chess. Mm -hmm. There's not that many rules to learn to chess, but it can be extremely complex in terms of the strategy that you can implement. And in this game, I do feel like there is a certain amount of strategy that can be applied. And when I say that, I'm really talking about, like Rachel mentioned earlier, the order of operations. If you do something out of order, you will make your opponents benefit, or they can benefit from it. If you are careless in that sense, you might lose. But if you're very careful on how you play them and when you play them, you can be set up fairly well for success. Yeah, I definitely agree that there's different levels of complexity that you can bring to this. So, I mean, again, you could play this with a younger kid. They will still have fun, still be able to play the game, but there are, you know, potentially more optimized solutions that you can come up with that make this a good game for both kids and adults, I think. I would give this probably a four or five as far as the complexity. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with a six. Okay. Uh... I'm going to go with a five. Okay. (laughs) And our last rating system is rote versus random. So what mechanics in each gameplay make it a unique experience or what changes in each playthrough so that you're not playing the same game each time? And really here, we have just a couple things that change, but it is relatively random, I feel. Dice rolls are always unpredictable and you have a deck of cards that is shuffled, but that's pretty much it. Your galaxy level tracker is always the same. You always upgrade it the same way. 
Yeah, there's predictable ways to be able to perform the mechanics, but the specific actions that you take and the specific planets that you're taking those actions on is randomized. Yeah. I'm going to give this a fairly high random score, I think, because of the dice rolling. It's one of those things that's like your victory is somewhat in the hands of fate, like in the example of me trying to roll another gear icon and I just had one left that I needed. And yeah, I agree. It's really random because you are limited by your dice rolls. Your whole game is dictated by the roll of the dice. Yeah, pretty much. I'm going to say that this is like a seven on the random. I was going to give this a six or a seven. Still, even though it's random, though, I mean, I feel like that's the design of the game. Although it's frustrating to have lost by such a narrow margin, I don't feel like I was at a disadvantage compared to Jake. It was pretty evenly matched, and I think that most players coming into the game will feel the same way. Okay, Rachel, so the time has come. Would you rather play this game over helping your neighbor trying to get a competitive price on his entire Pokemon card collection ranging from 1996 to 2009? Yeah, first of all, it's not even my Pokemon card, so I'm not getting any money from it, right? Oh, no, you get 10%. Oh, I get 10% from Mm -hmm. trying to sell these Pokemon cards? So you get like $4. (laughs) Hey, a foil Charizard might be worth something. You never know. No. Because they came in every starter pack that you chose to fire. The foil one. The foil one did. Did? Yes. I don't know anything about Pokemon cards, clearly. No. I just played the Game Boy games. Same. Anyway. (laughs) Yes, I would definitely play this game over doing that. That just sounds like a chore. And I'd rather have some fun and play this game. Okay. Well, that's fair. And there you have it. That's Tiny Epic Galaxy's Blast Off. Thank you guys again so much for listening. And thank you again to Gameland Games for sending us these for review purposes. We really appreciate the opportunity to do this. Absolutely. This was fun to check out and review and something that might not have been on our radar had we not had this opportunity. Yeah. Also, thank you to our listeners. We love you guys. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know what you're thinking of the show and what we can do better. And the way you can do that is you can hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Podcast. That's S-O-B-O-A-R-D. We'd love to hear your feelings on this episode and any other previous episode. Or in general about Tiny Epic Games. Absolutely. Because I know that there are people out there that love them. And on those different social media websites, you'll be able to find pictures and short stories of other games we've played recently and also interact with us all things tabletop. You can also email us if you'd like. We are so bored at gmail.com. That's W-E-A-R-E-S-O-B-O-A-R-D at gmail.com. And make sure you subscribe so you receive notifications when new episodes are released. Oh yeah, and our shout-outs. Congratulations to Corey Milliman, Nick Shepard, Justin and Natasha Webb, John Thompson, and Brandy Waldman for getting the Tiny Epic Galaxies blast-off hint correct. Good job, guys. And that's it. So thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.